Today the title of the message is Living Stones. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We actually have them out here in our new chairs. We're going to be answering the question this morning and in the, um, in the messages that are coming in the next few weeks of what is the church. We kind of kicked it off two weeks ago with talking about how prayer is instrumental to the growth of the church. And now we're going to look at a few of the different ways in the next few weeks that scriptures describe this uh, thing that we call church. There are a lot of misunderstandings about what church is. And within scripture, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the idea of church is never, ever, ever centered around a building. Within the Greek New Testament, the word ecclesia means a group or gathering of people or an assembly of people for a like purpose. And historically within the Western church, this meaning has been lost, hasn't it? When we talk about a church, we talk about this massive cathedral or this huge building somewhere where people come and meet. And that has been the focus for hundreds and hundreds of years right now. And we forget that the true building stones of a church are the people within that church. And while I'm very thankful for the board and I'm very thankful for you, the members, that you allowed us to get the new chairs, that you allow us to to kind of uh, brighten the place up with window treatments and some of the other things that we're going to be doing, I'm very appreciative of that to, to make our building a little bit more inviting. The church isn't made up of all of that. The church is made up of you, the people that are sitting in the new chairs. They're made up of people that fill the chairs, that help the body, that live their lives in such a way that gives a good reputation of this organization to those outside of it and makes it attractive for people to come and check out the Savior that we love. So we're going to look at what God's Word says about these ideas. The Apostle Peter, being Jesus' best friend, had some pretty unique insights into what Christ was thinking when Jesus created the church. And we're going to read about one of these insights today. The idea that you and I and everybody here are living stones. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, You yourselves are like living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, just as they were destined to do. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that as we study your scripture this morning, that you will bring out this idea that we are the rocks, we are the stones, we are the the cement that holds this church together, Father. It is not the brick and mortar, it is not the chairs, it is not the wood, it is not anything else but the people that exist within the church here. That we are the true foundation stones that hold this this organization together. 
Father, we just ask, Lord, that you have your way in this message today and throughout the rest of our service. In Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea that I want to bring out today is the importance of each and every person here as being part of the, the fabric and part of the foundation of this church. And the first thing we learn through the scripture we just read is how important each and every person here is to this fellowship. And the first thing that, that makes you so important is the fact that you were chosen in Christ. We see that in this scripture. How many of you remember gym class way back in school? Or how many of you remember the neighborhood and the playgrounds that you would play on? Or watch your kids play on? And they decide that they're going to play a game. And they would say it's, it's uh, maybe a game of pickup football or a game of pickup basketball or something. And so the two captains are chosen. How are the captains chosen? Usually the best players, right? They don't want to put two of the best players on the same team because they'll get slaughtered. So they split them up and then they alternate and keep picking people. Now, how are those people picked? By how good they are, by their reputation, sometimes by how popular they are, whether they're good or not. They're, they're picked on some sort of performance criteria that they have had in the past that shows um, how good they are. Now, for me, when I was growing up, if we had a martial arts competition, and we would have this in school sometimes, they think we were fighting, but we weren't, we would, uh, we would have point, we would have point um, competitions on the playground. And if you don't know what that is, it's like, anybody ever seen Karate Kid? You know, where they kind of put their, either really close, and the first person who gets a clean hit scores a point. And so I would usually be with the captains for that, because I was one of the better people in martial arts at the time. In football, if we had a uh, pickup football game, I might be a captain, but I was usually one of the first people chosen because I was very fast and, and pretty ruthless in my tackling, at least. Couldn't hold on to a ball because my hands are small, but I was very good at tackling and very good at defense, so I was usually one of the first people chosen. If it was a pickup baseball game, I was usually one of the last people chosen. Baseball is not my game. I, I can't hit, can't really throw that hard, so I... I was usually one of the last people chosen, or unless they needed a catcher, then they would usually make me the catcher, because I could do that, and I could throw, throw it back to, you know, to the bases, but that's about it. You don't want me in the outfield. If it was basketball, they might let me watch. <laughs> I am not going to be picked. You know, if you, were, if you were like in this situation where you were kind of one of the people standing in the group and they're saying, okay, I want Timmy over here. Okay, well, if you want Timmy, I'm taking Bob because Bob's just as good as Timmy. And all this, and all of a sudden, you and one other person are the last person there. And they pick the other person, and then the other captain's like, fine, I'll take that guy. <laughs> How did that make you feel? How did that make you feel if you were one of those last people chosen? It makes you feel pretty lousy, doesn't it? I mean, maybe, maybe you're just great at sports. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was always first. But, you know, think about how that, that last kid always felt, being the last person always chosen. Now think about this. Christ chose you. Let that sink in for a moment, that Christ chose you. Think about this. Jesus being a co-equal member of the Godhead. He is just as much God as God the Father. So he has all knowledge. 
He sees the end from the beginning. He exists outside of time. He can see everything. He can see every mistake you will ever make. He will see every failure you ever commit. He sees all of your stubborn rebellion. He's going to see every season in your life where you go through that lukewarm time where by your actions or your lackadaisical attitude deny that He is Lord of your life. He knows exactly what your performance is going to be throughout your entire life, and yet He still chose you. If we're honest, and God made us a captain to help pick His team, I never would have picked me to be part of his team. If I got to see my whole life, I, just looking at my life, there's no way I would have picked myself to even be a towel boy on God's team, much less a competitor. But God chooses, but God's choice is not based on who the winners and losers are by our definition of those words. He looks at the heart of the individual and the decision that they have made concerning his son, and then he places them on his team. And that's the beauty of our God, that you were chosen long before you were ever born. In fact, the Bible says that you were chosen from the foundation of creation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, Even as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Jesus Himself said in Matthew 25, 34, He said, Come, you are blessed by My Father. Come to Me. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of this world. Isn't that awesome? That you, it's not like you're the kid with no talent or isn't popular enough to be chosen for this team. If you are in Christ Jesus, you were chosen by God before you were even born. Before they even discussed how they were going to make a star, you were chosen by God. And I know that there are probably some theology nerds like me who are thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't work with, with other scriptures. What about free will? Didn't we choose Christ? The answer to that is both yes and no. Let me explain this a little bit this morning. Christians, regardless of denominations, have a central belief that is called the depravity of man. That it looks back upon Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden and says because of their sin that we have inherited a rebellious nature that refuses to do good things. Now does that mean an atheist can't do good things? Well, he can do good things to other humans, but he can never do the greatest thing in accepting God. That is the greatest thing you can do, is accept forgiveness through Christ Jesus. They, so they can't go into their, they can't go and do the ultimate good in their life. So if that is true, if we, if we are completely, de um, completely depraved before God and completely evil before God because of, of the sin of Adam and Eve, then how can we as morally corrupt beings ever humble ourselves and confess our failures before God? How can we admit that we are sinners and rebels? How can we beg for God's forgiveness and receive it in Jesus, and how does this idea of total depravity that we can no, do no good within ourselves square with our ability to choose the ultimate good in accepting Jesus Christ as Lord? Now, this whole idea is the subject of probably a thousand books, if not more. And if you ever want to start a fight in social media or an online chat room or even amongst a group of diverse Christians, say that you believe in absolute free will. 
Or you believe in the absolute sovereignty of God of who will come to salvation. And you'll usually start a fight. Now let me illustrate the way I see this within the Bible. Anybody ever watch ice hockey? Ice hockey is pretty big around here, right? If not, let me quick explain. There's an oval of ice. You have six people, two goalies and five people that their whole job is to guide this uh, hard plastic puck into their goalies, into their opponent's net. That's ice hockey. Whenever uh, someone hits the puck into the net, they score a bow. Big buzzer goes off, big light flashes, and they announce it something that would sound something like this. Score, L.A. King by number 99, Wayne Gretzky, with an assist by whoever had touched that puck last on their team. Turning this analogy towards salvation, yes, you exercised your free will in choosing to die to yourself and become alive in Christ, but Jesus is the one who scored the goal. Jesus is the one who provided the means for you to be saved. And the Holy Spirit enables you to make that choice through provenient grace. Convenient grace is just a supernatural ability granted to a sinner to be able to overcome their depraved nature for a moment and choose Christ. That's what, what provenient grace is, if you've ever heard that. Remember, we're morally incapable of choosing Jesus Christ without the help of God, so that's where grace comes in to help us. So using our hockey example, Jesus scored, and you get a very, very weak assist. You might have been on the ice somewhere, but you didn't touch that puck before it went into the goal. And honestly, Jesus' score here was unassisted, because he did all the work, amen? So how can God choose all these depraved people to become living stones in his church and still allow for human free will? You are chosen because of God's foreknowledge of your decision for Christ. And this, is, this gets a little bit complicated here and kind of um, just kind of way out there, almost twilight zone. You know, if you were to take this, this stick here and call this, this is all of time is, is contained within this stick. Since time is a created thing, Einstein proved it, it can be bent, it can be sped up, slow down, everything else, perception of it. So it makes it a created thing, right? So God exists outside of time. It would be like if I put this down on the ground and I spread my legs like this, I say I am over the entire timeline now. That is kind of how God exists in the timeline. He exists simultaneously in the past, future, and present. So he can see exactly who is going to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and then choose them from eternity past because he already knows our decision right now in the present. Remember what Ephesians said, even as he chose us in him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. And because of this, God knows who's going to humble themselves and ask forgiveness and accept Jesus' lordship over their life through the Holy Spirit's influence among the unsaved. And that is the reality of who you are as a living stone, that you're chosen from eternity past to fit into a very particular spot within the kingdom of God. A spot right now, right where you are living. That's why the Bible describes you as living stones. You're chosen to fit within a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, 
But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as He chose. Do you get to select where you go to church? Not according to that. It says, as He chose. I remember when I was younger, most of you have heard me talk about this a lot, that I stayed with my grandparents in the summer and during vacations. And on the back porch of their house, there was a poured concrete staircase. We didn't use the front door at all. There was a freezer in front of it. But the back door is what we use, and there's a poured concrete staircase, five steps to get into the back door. Around that staircase on the outside of it, my grandfather had cemented in various stones, larger you know, stones this big, stones this big, um, in there, and just created kind of a decorative facade over the top of it of different rocks fitting together and, and showing it. And I wish I had a picture to show you, but the one up here on the screen will do. You see, all these rocks were necessary for the strength of the whole. It didn't matter like if you were like a small rock, like right here, or a big rock right here. You take out any one of these, that wall is going to be weaker, isn't it? If you take out a big one, it's going to be a little bit more weak. Maybe that's like taking out an elder or a pastor. Maybe this one is like, you know, one of the cleaning people or, or something like that. You know, each one of these rocks has a specific function to make this wall as solid as it can. The church works the same exact way. And that's why God told Peter to use this example for us. Stones that were stones were what buildings and walls were made of back then, and the symbolism would have been a very, very apparent to a person who lived in the first century. So if we accept that the Bible is true, that Peter knew what he was talking about through Jesus um, inspiring him to write that scripture, then you are a living stone in this church. So what happens to the church body if we start pulling out all of these stones? What happens to the whole if we skip Sundays and Wednesdays? I know some of the people have work and school and everything. I do. You know that. I get that. Sometimes, you know, being in healthcare, I, I have to miss occasionally. But I just would challenge you this morning, instead of scheduling everything else and then seeing if church fits in, maybe you should start with church and make sure everything else fits around that. Amen. I mean, shouldn't Christ be first? Shouldn't the one who died for us have primacy over our lives? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, your life belongs to him. And because you were chosen, because you were selected to fit within this church body for such a time as this, you are critical to the health and success of this body of believers here in Tripolau County. God has chosen you. Say that. God has chosen me. Say that again. Sound like you mean it. God has chosen me. He's chosen you to be right here in this body for this time to perform some specific function to make this a healthy church. Remember what our scripture said for today. You yourselves are the living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let's break that down as to what your functions are. As a living stone, you are a spiritual house in and over yourself. And as much as we are focusing on the body, you are a critical part of that as a whole. You have a ministry. Every single person here has a ministry that God is calling you to do. God has never, ever, ever 
saved a person to sit, ever. He does not have a bench that he puts people on. He doesn't call you into the kingdom to pass a church's attendance numbers and membership roles. He saves people to serve so that others can be saved. Let me point you back to the, to the beginning again. What position did Adam and Eve have? What, what, what was the reason that man was created? To tend the garden. He created them to do a specific job. That has, that has everything to do with this church. But what about the rest of the life when we're not together? That brings us to the next point. As a living stone, you are a holy priesthood according to this scripture. And there's this unfortunate and unbiblical divide between clergy and laity. You know, there is no distinction in the kingdom of God between clergy and laity. Absolutely none. I'm not saying there's not various ministries, there's not various jobs, there's not various workings, there's not various powers. I'm not saying that at all. But there is no difference between you and me. I just am doing the job that God has called me to, to fit within the body, to be that living stone that helps hold the body together. But again, what about when we're not here in the church building? And this is where it gets exciting. This is the, actually the exciting part for me. You would think I would be so focused on what we're doing here in this building. I'm actually a lot more excited about what happens outside of this building. You know, God wants to use you right now where you are in this life. And he wants to use every part. He wants to use the good and the bad and the ugly. He wants to use your pain. He wants to use your discouragement. He wants to use the good things. He wants to use the bad things. All of them have come into your life to shape you into a person who can reach a very specific group of people with the love of God. You might be that living stone that a person the only one that a person will respond to, that stone that somebody could cling to in order to learn about Jesus Christ. God has called you where you are right now for such a time as this. Even through your mistakes, He has done this. You know, when I was a new Christian, I was a mess. God had immediately and miraculously taken several things out of my life immediately, you know, like cussing and smoking and some of the more, the more outward things. But underneath, there were still a lot of crippling problems that were, that were holding me back from really growing in him. And he was working this out. One of them was a serious lack of self-confidence or even Jesus' confidence in my life. And much of which, like most men, I covered with bluster and bragging. That's what us guys do. When we feel the least confident, that's usually when we're beating our chest and saying how great we are. Is when a guy feels the least confident about himself. Well, there was a woman in the factory I was working at that was going through just a horrible time in her life. She's going through some very serious emotional and occasionally physical spousal abuse. Occasionally she'd show up with a lot of bruises at work. Because of her rocky home life, her kids were in rampant rebellion against, against their parents and against God. Her kids, had, um, her oldest had just gotten expelled out of school. And her yearly mammogram that she went to showed um, four suspicious areas for breast cancer. So she's just a wreck. She doesn't know what to do, and she happened to work on the same line as Kevin and Boyd. Boyd was my boss. He was studying to be a pastor, and Kevin, you know, you've met. She was on us line, and she was talking to us about it, and she came to us, and she asked us to pray for her. Now, I was so new in the faith, I hadn't even read the whole New Testament yet. But I had read James, 
And remember that James said, if there be any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. So I'm like, well, we can't pray for you. We have to call for the elders of the church. I said, you know, I, I said I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll bring this prayer request to church tonight and we'll pray for it and the elders will pray for it. And according to the Bible, you'll be made well. You know, it's kind of the way I presented it to her. So I got to church that night and, you know, Pastor Nelson Clare was my pastor that I got saved under and he, uh, he opened the floor up for prayer requests. And so I shared this prayer request. And so he turned that into a lesson for all of us when I said, well, I told her, you know, I'm not an elder, but you know, I'll, I'll bring it to the elders and they'll pray for it. He explained that God has called us in to the places we work at for such a time as this. That means that you may be the church in that place. And he said, you will need Art Preventure or me or somebody else to come and pray for this person. You are the eldest person there. That makes you an elder to that factory. Therefore, you pray for that person. God has called you as his witness to that person to be the church to that person. And I tell you this story to point out and emphasize, you are a holy priesthood. You have the same amount of spiritual power that I do. You have the same amount of spiritual power as George Wood or, or anybody on TV that you might look to. You have the same spiritual power available to you as they do. You might be that one spiritual influence to a person that could save them from hell. Think about that for a second. Think about that job you might not like going to. God put you there. Think about that nasty neighbor that you can't stand. God put you there. Put you there to be a priest to that person. You might be the only person that shows enough love to the unlovable person to soften their heart for the gospel. That is how, as living stones, you perform spiritual sacrifices to the king. Invariably in church, whenever a pastor says the word sacrifice, they automatically, everybody starts thinking, oh boy, he's going to start talking about money again. Not today. I think that's important. Obviously, we need money to keep the church going. But I want to talk to you about something that's even more important in the eyes of God. And that is your time. Your time is your most valuable resource. I've heard it said that the most valuable thing you have in life is a dash. And that dash, it will be seen on your tombstone in between the year you were born and the year that you go on to see Jesus. That dash is the most powerful thing in your life. One of the greatest ways that we honor God as our king is how we spend our time here on this earth. We're rewarded by our time spent serving, by our time spent together in fellowship or attending the church. Time spent working for the kingdom, spreading the knowledge of Jesus and his gospel and the love of God. And most importantly, the time that we spend in God with prayer. How can we say we love somebody if we never want to spend time with them? We are rewarded by our time spent for the things of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In other words, what you did with that dash. And if that were to happen tonight, you appearing before Jesus to give an account, would you receive praise for your king for being a living stone or just be standing there as one escaping through the flames with nothing to show for your life? Tammy, if you could come back up with Jennifer. I want to close today with this thought. Within the scripture we read in, in 1 Peter, it ends with this thought that the honor is for you who believed. God has honored you in ways that are indescribably beautiful. You were honored to be chosen. You were honored to be made a living stone. You were honored to be made a holy priesthood. And someday, someday according to the scripture we just read in 2 Corinthians, someday you'll be honored directly from Jesus if you just believe in Him and His Word for your life.